Hey there. Hey, buddy. Welcome to the program, dude. Thanks for uh, making time to be here. Of course. Riley, first of all, man, uh, how long has it been? Remind me what year you graduated from Carmel, because we go back to CHTB. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 2013. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I graduated same year as you. I didn't know if you were older than me or what. Um, yeah. Other than CHTV, uh, were you involved in any other activities? Yeah, played uh, soccer um, all four years. Yeah. And I think that's oh, a big game, but I don't know if that really counts as a whole lot. But at the time, weren't they a nationally ranked program when you were playing? Definitely, yes. Um, I mean, we went undefeated, I think, both regular seasons, my junior and senior year, and uh, ranked number one in the state. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you went on to Wabash for your undergrad. And uh, we're, we're going to get into your career as a lawyer uh, and the, the exciting news that you received recently with the TV show that you've been featured on. But um, when you were a student athlete, was there ambitions of like, I'm going to play pro soccer and, and do that first before going into a career? Um, in high school, there was. But once I made the decision to go, uh, to Wabash, the D3 program, kind of let those dreams go to the side, right. focus on fun and getting some good grades so I can get into that grad school. Well, and uh, I would imagine with playing soccer uh, and with the demands of, of school, that, that wasn't easy. I mean, how did you manage all your time in between those things? It was, it was pretty stacked, especially freshman year, pledging Sigma Chi at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my hours are pretty much set for me. I'd wake up, do some pledge shift stuff, go to class, practice or a game, obviously classes, and then back to it. But pretty regimented during the season. And then uh, spring season, which is more of like our just off season, was a little bit lighter. So I had more time to focus on school, but kind of just went roll with the punches and uh, went with my class schedule and, and uh, soccer schedule. So. Yeah, well, and as far as like a educational path to become a lawyer, um, this is probably a, a dumb question, but I would imagine for undergrad it would be pre-law, and then from there yes. pick something. Or so Wabash, at the time I was there, there was kind of a pre-law track, but not necessarily a pre-law program. Just given how small the school was, it was sure. under a thousand all, all male college, obviously. So I actually I majored in history minored in political science uh, and took some theater as well so okay well and uh did the theater stuff was you thinking there like i'm gonna have to sort of perform in court so it's good to know something in that realm maybe in the back of my head a little bit and, yeah. and so i just i enjoyed it a lot i uh took so it was a liberal arts college so you have to take three three at least three classes in each division of study right so yeah, our performing arts was one of them so after my first class I kind of just liked it and I was intro to acting and it just went from there I ended up taking I think five or six credits in theater which I didn't really expect going into college <laughs> did you end up doing any plays or, or anything of that sort and I acted in a small uh, skit where my friends and family could come watch but it wasn't any big Shakespearean play by any means but right well, and, and you know me, I, I back in high school, I was a sports commentator and uh, Gus Johnson, who's a famous play-by-play -play guy, he ended up doing theater. So, you know, both of our careers sort of cross in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. CHT was CHT. <laughs> time. Uh, I remember being 
think I called one JV game, so I wasn't as uh, as well versed as you are. But <laughs> well, and um, I, I think it stuck with me because it's true. Um, Hal Espy, the the legend that ran the program <laughs> when we were there, gave you a, a compliment, and he said it's really tough to smile while you talk, uh, and that you mastered that uh, as a young man. Uh, <laughs> I, I would imagine that's probably useful as a lawyer to be able to like smile as you talk to someone. It is. And I, I don't know if it's necessarily as much as that I developed it is that it's just my nature. And I guess I'm more of a smiley person and it just kind of, and I talk a lot. So it kind of just went hand in hand. I don't know. I've been practicing years on that, I guess, but in terms of being a lawyer, yeah, I do. I do believe it plays to my benefit. Yeah. Um, being smile and talk at the same time and kind of, break down that human wall of people not wanting to to trust or believe you at the beginning of any encounter. There's a saying, like, if you punch somebody in the face and they smile back at you to, to run the other way, I feel like <laughs> for cross-examination, if I got you coming at me and you're smiling, smiling and talking, I might reveal some information I wouldn't necessarily want to. You yeah, know? I, I, I think that's, that's definitely part of it. I think that uh, has occurred once or twice. And, you know, usually when somebody becomes a lawyer, or at least uh, in every TV show, it's not necessarily their choice. Uh, is it your pursuit to become a lawyer or was it like your family saying, let's let's pursue this? <laughs> um, I guess mine was more half and half. My my grand grandfather on my mother's side was a lawyer for 60 years Wow, okay. in Indianapolis. So I was exposed to that most of my childhood. And then realized I was pretty good at reading and writing and speaking. So I, and not so much at math. So I, I kind of, it, the path was almost somewhat chosen, but then right. as I started uh, getting more, more exposure to it by doing internships and things of that nature, I felt it was a good path for me and then supported by my family. Well, Ed, uh, you are a defense lawyer. So I'm going to ask you, like, there a sense of justice in your soul that you want to express to? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, that's that's uh, part of it. Uh, heading into law school, I hadn't really figured out which area of law I wanted to practice. It ended up now that I do a lot of criminal defense and a lot of personal injury. Um, criminal defense goes a lot more towards the trial route. So I pride myself on being ready to go to trial at any time. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm not sure your question, but I think I just went off on a tangent there a little bit. Yeah. Um... Well, and, you know, one thing that I thought about, too, man, um, before you even become a lawyer, you have to take the uh, LSAT, right, which is like the big, yes. the big test. Take me back studying for that and, and the pressure that was on you. I would imagine it was. It was, it was pretty stressful. So when you go to law school, you get the letters of recommendation and your GPA and then extracurriculars. And then obviously the LSAT's a big, big part of that. So uh, when I took it, the highest score you get was a 180 um, and you could take it multiple times and law schools usually take your highest grade. Um, okay. So I did the prep program and it's, it's pretty stressful. So considering if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, you get you <laughs> kind of well, so you can take that next step because you're not really interviewing for the traditional jobs right after college, kind of just investing full force into that, that goal. For law school, you ended up going down to Indiana university, their law school, one of the better programs in the country i mean talk about your education and the experience there yes yeah, so iu was is extremely challenging yeah. the hardest three years of my life <laughs> sure um learned a lot 
Um, I think that one thing I would say is that the basis, the baseline education that Wabash provided me with the reading, the writing, the analytical skills, and then having to speak in class every day really did help in the transition to law school. Um, it's, it was a similar format in terms of the Socratic method where you can get called on randomly. Right. Um, and, and that's part of your grade, but a lot of it came down to the final. So most, most courses in law school, at least at IU were, uh, 70 to 80% were on the final. So you could do all you wanted till the end, but <laughs> yeah, yeah that sink or swim and it's, it's really stressful and law school is graded on a curve, unlike other graduate schools. So there's only a certain amount of A's, only a certain amount of B's, C's and D's and so forth. It's right. on a bell curve. So it's a lot of pressure and not many people wanting to help you out since you're competing directly with them. Well, I, I was going to say, man, did with that being an element, was it sort of combative and how competitive it was knowing that you're going to be graded on a, on a bill, you know, it was, it was pretty cutthroat. I mean, you had your small group of people that you would study with and share insights with or outlines for courses or, Hey, the professor likes to test on this, right. but it was pretty insulated and socially is, is different, but the academic part was definitely pretty cutthroat. Well, and uh, who is it? Uh, Elle Woods in uh, Legally Blonde. You know, she's like, law school, like it's hard, you know, like uh, it, it is that difficult. When you, when you talk about law school, it is difficult, right? It, it is it is difficult, that's for sure. I know some people that unfortunately couldn't couldn't cut it and, and failed out and wow. or made it to the end and couldn't pass the bar. Um a lot of a lot of hurdles even even after you get into law school so is the bar once you pass it like you're good or you have to retake it so in indiana and i think every other state once you pass the bar you're good as long as you maintain your continuing legal education credits so in indiana i believe it's i believe it's 30 30 credit hours every every 3 years so you have to do hours of continuing your legal education. So you go to seminars, events, mm. it's basically to maintain your license aside from not having any, any issues with the bar itself, getting reported for attorney misconduct or, or other things of that nature. But as long as you don't, if, as long as you're a good person and you stay above board on the ethics side and you right. do your education, you're usually in a good spot. <laughs> well, and I'm not going to be like stepbrothers and say, how much do you make a year before taxes? But, <laughs> but, um, you know, one perk that we always think about with lawyers is like, you're going to have a, a great life and have work life balance at some point. I mean, as a young right. gun lawyer, uh, what are your typical responsibilities? Yeah, so I, you do definitely <laughs> make more than I did in law school, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Hours, my hours as a, so I work at a solo practitioner firm partnership association type thing where it's not the traditional law firm like most people think with an ice miller or a, a barnes and thornburg where you have a certain amount of billable hours so in those firms you have to do a certain amount of billable hours to even move up and, mm. and keep your job basically so they're working a lot more of the traditional law firm style as as for me mine's a lot more court intensive so i'm I'm usually in court every single day in various counties. So I wake up, look at my docket for the day and go meet with my different private clients on various hearings from if it's a criminal case, do a bail review where someone's incarcerated and you're trying to lower the amount of money they have to pay to get out of jail before the case is resolved mm. or a jury trial, bench trial. So a lot of court intensive work. So I'm in court every single day, like I said, 
and then the filings that come along with that. Okay. Um, I was going to ask this at the end, but we should probably ask this now. Uh, in the event that someone is arrested, what advice do you have for them? I know that seems like a basic question, but it's an important one. Right. In the event, you know. It's uh, it's it's as simple as invoke your right to remain silent. Request that your lawyer be present, and uh, during a criminal investigation, once you invoke that right, the police legally have to stop questioning you um, and any questions that occur after that and any answers that are elicited are likely barred from being admissible as evidence at any trial proceeding or hearing mm -hmm. going forward. So biggest advice, don't say anything <laughs> or call me. <laughs> That's right. Call Riley and shut the hell up. Yeah, exactly. um, Most people think they talk their way out of it. And usually that I mean, like they say, what you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And you won't imagine how many times that we've had clients that have spoken with the cops and then come to us afterwards. Right. And and at that point, you really can't help beyond good luck, right? You can, they can always use your statements against you. Yep. Well, and uh, I think it was Tom Segura. Sorry, I referenced comedians. They're like my philosophers. Uh, you know, it was he said that he would watch 48 hours and the two episodes were I want to talk to my lawyer. All the cops are, damn it. You know, they can't believe <laughs> that's, that's the tactic you got to use. But um, going back to the law firm that you work for, make, make sure I get this right. Kennard, Scott, Rowley and Powers. Is that the. We have, so that's who I worked the, the Natalia case with. And we were with them for the first two years. And okay. just past uh, January, we split off my boss and I did, and we're doing our own. We have our own office now, just the two of us. So okay, great. I, it, it's not as well where, where, yeah, we, it's a new, it's a new firm technically. So I work at Pelton and Scott. Okay. Love it. My man. boss uh, <laughs> was great enough with his 30 years experience to allow me to put my name on the door. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're working together and our office is at 5455 West 86th. Love it. All right. Esquire, <laughs> Riley Pelton. Uh, on the program yeah. today but um you mentioned it man uh the thing that you are going to be uh famous for here in the coming <laughs> weeks is uh this case called the curious case of natalia grace uh, available now on discovery plus and max um you know you can only disclose so much but how did you become involved with with the case so generally speaking terrence Kennard, who we were in association with is a great lawyer he yeah. had uh, Michael Barnett, who was our client. He had him originally as a client years back when he was originally charged in this case, criminally charged. Terrence had worked the case throughout and then roughly a month or two before trial was to begin and they confirmed a trial date. Mm -hmm. He had requested that myself and my boss, Vincent Scott, assist him in the trial preparation and the trial itself. So we were brought on by Terrence Kennard, the lead attorney on the case. And it was full go from there after we <laughs> retained to, to join in on the case. What did you learn by being a part of that? It's, uh, I hadn't been a part of a case with this much publicity before. So um, having that general aspect of the news, wanting to, to know a lot about the case and having a film crew with us for the entire Prep and being mic'd up the whole time was a little different. Um, 
but in terms of the actual preparation, uh, it was very diligent. It was almost every day for the, for the month or two that we were retained, we would focus just on this case. Right. Um, and I have a lot of client meetings, a lot of exhibits, get all of our testimony, divvy up who's taking what witnesses, and then just kind of honing in on who my target was for for the for the actual trial. So preparing to be ready to question my witness and do do my part and play my role. And this is just speaking in, in general terms, because I'm I'm thinking of your job as a lawyer. Would you recommend to a client to do a show like this? <laughs> I, I, it would worry you know, me if, if there's live microphones. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, uh, that's the client's discretion. I don't really want right. to touch his, his choice on that. But, um, yeah, like, I want to leave that one. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's, his, it's his life. It's his story. So as long as, um, as, long as he's comfortable doing it, that's his right. choice. Um. And I mean, again, if you can't disclose anything, that's perfectly fine. But uh, from what you were able to see in the documentary, was there any key details that they left out that are worth mentioning here? Um, they actually, yeah, they leave out any key details. Let me think about that. Um, I think they did a good job. I think they did a good job on the documentary in terms of portraying everything and laying it out. And I th- no, yeah, I just think they did a good job. I don't think they... Okay. We left out any details that could be disclosed, right? You know, legally in the in the situation, given attorney-client privilege and the sealed sealed courtroom that we were in. One thing that I dug with with you, man, uh, they show you, you know, in the in the room having a conference, and they need a key term to be able to to describe Natalia, and you say twenty-one-year-old daughter. You know, yeah. like as a lead attorney, if you're if you're a guy trying to assemble a team. You probably want folks that are are different from you, so maybe younger from a different, you know, like to be able to think differently than you to have a different idea. Is that typically what the strategy is for a lead attorney is to find folks that think differently than him? Absolutely, I think compliment what you bring. So, for example, Terrence was our lead attorney, and he's well well versed in criminal proceedings. He's actually won, I believe, it's over eight murder trials as defense. So he's, he's, he, I mean, he's an excellent attorney and so is my boss, Vincent Scott. Um, they, they both have, I think between them nearly 60 years of criminal defense experience. So wow. they have, they have that going for them and I'm the, the fresh eyes on the case. I mean, I think it really benefited our client having different, different people come in. Terrence had been working on it for a long time um, and just get a fresh set of eyes and ears. He, it, the three minds are always better than one. Two minds are better than one. So. I think you can get a, a bunch of bunch of talented people in a room together. You're going to get some good results. Well, it's something that shocked me, but I I would imagine it's true. Uh, Terrence said that 98 percent of cases go in the favor of the prosecution. Is that right? Uh, if he says it, then I'm going to go with him on that. I don't <laughs> okay. back that up, but I'm not going to dispute somebody with that much experience. Yeah, uh, well, I would say that's probably pretty accurate because most cases in a criminal setting. As as competent defense attorney, you're going to know whether you have a good case or not. Right. So most cases that are bad facts, it's all about facts in, in criminal law, especially. So if you have bad facts, things that you know are going to get admitted at trial, you try and minimize your client's exposure by cutting a deal. Right. Well, but I would imagine like, 
I would go in wanting to win every trial, but part of your part of the job, I would think, is accepting the losses and trying to not internalize that on right. You. So my goal as a criminal defense attorney and a civil personal injury attorney, just in general, is to try and get the best outcome for my client I possibly can within my abilities. And part of that sometimes is negotiating and coming to common ground with whether it be the prosecution, a plaintiff's firm, a defense firm, uh-huh. whoever you're working with to try and find common ground that everyone can walk away with and, and live with. So not talking specifics, but yeah, just minimizing the damage or the exposure of your client is, is, is the main goal. Well, and um, you know, one, one thing that you, that uh, I paid attention to in the documentary too, is like, they said not to mention the wife at all. Does it ever feel like you're in a box sometimes because you can't use certain terms? Yes, that's what trial is. So there's a lot of things that have been said or done or things you want to bring into a case, but the rules of evidence govern what you can and cannot bring in. One of the major rules we learn in law school and that is actually applied more often than not in uh, criminal and civil proceedings is the hearsay rule. Everyone goes, that's hearsay. In day-to-day life, most people know generally what hearsay is, but in a realistic term in an actual trial, you cannot bring in information, an out-of-court statement made by someone else that's not testifying. So if Jimmy was on the stand, he can't say what Riley said. He can only see say what he said or what the defendant said. Hmm. So that bought a lot of things generally. And then there's the specific rulings like you saw in the documentary. Right. Yeah, like one thing that was a real blow to the prosecution in the case was that Natalia's age couldn't be used. Uh, and as, I'm just speaking as a person with a disability. I would have a tough time living in Lafayette as a 28-year-old. But for your team, that probably impacted your strategy. And plus, you had the part of the documentary where the media hears a statement and then it gets published. And I mean, there's so many elements that you have to keep track of as a defense yeah. attorney. There's a lot of things you got to follow on the court rules. You want to rulings. You absolutely have to follow. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a lot, but that's why we have three attorneys and paralegals and assistants. And, and there are a lot of people that have put effort into this case and a case like this uh, to make sure that no, there's no slip ups or there's no uh, mishaps. Cause that could, that could be the difference between winning and losing a trial. Well, and I do want to point to one thing that Terrence said, cause I think it's true. How much of convincing a jury is getting someone to be likable and you likable as a lawyer? It's, I mean, you're the one spewing to them for a couple of days. So they have to, if they don't like you, you're starting from a downhill position. You know, you're working uphill to start. So it's big. It's not the most important thing, but it's definitely important to, to getting a favorable outcome for your client. So, all right. Um, when you're not working, are you watching a lot of law and order type shows? I watch a lot of the true crime docuseries things, uh, like making a murder and those kind of things on Netflix. I don't really watch like the, the law and order types or things of that nature too often. I like the real thing. I just, cause of, I think it's, (laughs) I do. I'm like, I need the real facts and real cases kind of thing. And not that's bad shows, but they're just not my, not my, not up my alley. What about uh, Better Call Saul? What'd you think of that one? Love that one. That's that's an exception. I love that show. I just, uh, the last couple of seasons just came out on Netflix and finished those in about a week. 
Well, and you know, I'm a clothing guy, man. I like I like the different dreads that people wear. How do you decide what suit you're wearing on a given day? It just kind of wake up and go, honestly. Yeah, it's something yeah. laid out beforehand. Um, apparently, Terrence told me that the yellow tie is the power tie in Indiana, so I wore that one for closing. You got this one from my girlfriend for for the trial itself, so that was All right. so to me. Um, but this is my favorite suit right now. It's got uh, the cold tie there. There you go, dude. I love it. So, yeah, so this is my favorite one right now, but it varies. Uh, and if it's, I mean, I don't want to wear a wool suit in the winter or, uh, I mean, the, the summer. So kind of just varies on the weather and, and what, what kind of hearings we have for that day. You're in the beginning stages of your career, brother. So, you know, a long way to go. But uh, what are some future ambitions that you have for yourself? Um, I, I just want to keep doing good by my clients and working as hard as I can and helping as many people as I can. So spreading the word that we're kind of like a different type of practice in terms of I handle most of our day-to-day -day intake of clients and handling of, of setting appointments and meeting with people. So I'm pretty hands-on um, in that respect. But in terms of goals, just keep helping people do right by my clients and give my best effort to helping them find the resolution and, and the peace that they, they want and deserve. Because when you're being charged with a crime or you've been in a car accident or uh, going through a divorce, you want somebody that's in your corner and that, that has empathy and, and is working for you uh, as much and as hard as they can. You have any plans to be a professor or something? I think you'd be a great teacher. Uh, I thought about it. That, that or I kind of want to be a judge maybe down the road. Okay. But right now I'm just focusing on getting as much experience uh, under my belt as I can. This is way down the road, but like, right. are, are we thinking uh, Judge Mathis, Judge Judy, like a TV show, <laughs> something like that? That would be an interesting turn of events. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, shut it down right now, but I'm just taking it day by day and week by week. But that would, that would be a very entertaining career for sure. <laughs> uh, how can folks reach out, Riley, if they would like to? Yes. Um, so, we have a website. It is drivingsuspended.com. And you'll find it. The heading is Pelton and Scott on the website. That's our that's our firm. And our phone number, which you can call or text. And I I respond to all of them. So it's you'll be talking <laughs> okay. not just a robot or some person that we've outsourced. It's uh 317-571-0810. You can also email me at Riley, the number one at drivingsuspended.com. Well, hey, man, uh, I, I got Lacey Locke and you now. I, I got a dream team that's being assembled from a legal standpoint. So. There we go. She out to me after after she saw that as well. So we've been we've been chatting it up a little bit as well. So, yeah, yeah. she's great. She's great. I saw your interview with her. That was that was awesome. As far as the series is concerned, the full show is out now, or they they have more shows ready. The portion that I'll be featured in is is done. They the last episode was the legal. The episode six was about the legal process more, okay. more so. And I think they're doing a section called Natalia Speaks, which is where Natalia has a sit down interview with them. Okay. I know it's a different proceeding. And if you don't know, we'll, we'll leave it. But uh, have we had any determination on the wife and the charges that she's facing? Yeah. So after we uh, assisted Michael in getting all of his charges dropped, he got acquitted fully. Right. Um, I believe that the Tippecanoe County Prosecutor's Office made the wise decision and they dismissed all of 
Christine's charges. So she's no longer being criminally charged. Okay. Wow. I, I think they could have made their case personally. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I don't know if it was a resource thing or what, but they, they dropped all of her charges. So she's no longer being criminally charged for this, uh, this scenario, uh, as far as I'm concerned and, and know of. Okay. Well, um, I'll tell you, I was already like, captivated by by the series and the fact that it happened in Westfield and it's essentially the orphan in real life playing out and then I see you and I'm like oh my god CHTV alum on the program but uh <laughs> yeah. yeah it was it, it was pretty cool I can't lie I can't lie it was interesting seeing yourself on TV yeah uh, that's for sure but I feel lucky and an honor to have been a part of the case and and more so help Michael get acquitted of all of his charges all right, uh, folks, again, The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, uh, available now on Discovery Plus and Max. Riley, thank you again, brother, for being here. It's been awesome to catch up. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. Folks, to hear this podcast episode again, you can follow me at JBK on air on all social media pages. You can also get all of my content at linktree.com slash JBK on air. And until next time, have a great day and a better tomorrow. <laughs>